All right, turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be covering verses 4 to 10 this morning. I titled this morning's message, Sin and Righteousness. We've already read in chapter 2, verse 29, uh, the verse that says, if you know that He is righteous, then you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. Now, I spent quite a bit of time talking about what it means to be born again to be born from above, to have a spiritual rebirth. Those are all ways to describe a person that comes into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But John says, if you know, or it could actually be translated, since you know. Since you know that He is righteous, or at least we should know that, then you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of God or born of Him. John, remember, he's bringing out all of these earmarks of what a true Christian is. He's going to make it very clear to us by the time we get to chapter 5, the end of 5, of what a Christian is and what a Christian is not. I shared... When we got to chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, that these three verses were like a pause. John gave a pause to encourage us a little bit because of what he had just been saying in chapter 2. This was this pause of needed encouragement for these believers that were reading this letter and for us. In chapter 3, verse 1, John starts with the word, Behold. Now, I shared when I taught this section that that word behold is actually the same word know. And, and it's that same word edo that speaks about something that we should know as Christians. But when he uses this word behold, it, it's, it's a way of John saying, I want you to look at this love of God. I want you to look intently at this love. I want you to consider as Christians how great God's love is for you. You see, it takes a lifetime really as a Christian to even begin to grasp how great that love is. It's something that we're to know. John says, behold, he says, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. That word bestowed there means that He lavished His love upon you. He just lavished, He just poured it out, and He didn't need anything in return when He did it. That's a different kind of a love, isn't it? Because, you know, the worldly type of love requires something in return for you to continue to love. God's love towards you and towards this world even requires nothing in return. And so that's the kind of love that we're talking about. That's why John says, Behold, consider this love that God has bestowed upon you and that you should be called a child of God. The Creator of the heavens and the earth refers to you as His child. He says, Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, 
Now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is, and everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. The hope that we have as Christians. We're children of God. We have this hope that someday, face to face, we're going to stand before Him. We're going to be changed in the moment, the twinkle of eye. We're going to be made like Him, in the likeness of Him. That's incredible love. I mean, just the fact that He would call us His children. And then, and then give us a reason for living holy lives. That reason is Jesus Christ is coming back. And, and if, if that's at the forefront of your mind all the time, and you're living in that hope of Christ's return, it'll have an effect on your walk. You'll desire to want to follow Him more holy and to follow after Him with your whole heart. Because you know what? Today could be the day. We read in the Gospel of John in chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but has everlasting life. That love that God has for the world is that unconditional, sacrificial love that God has for every human being. But even though God has that kind of love for the whole world, for every human being, God doesn't say that everyone is a child of God. You see, you become a child of God when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. When you become born again. You become a a child of God. And even though He loves people that don't even know Him or reject Him, they're not children of God. In John 1.12 we read, but as many as received Him, You see, that's the key. We need to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it says, to them, He gave the right to become the children of God. God gives us the right to become His children when we receive Him into our heart and life. That's an important truth to know. Not everybody is going to heaven. Not everybody is a child of God. Not everybody is saved. It's those who have received Christ as Lord and Savior. And so, now let's look at our text this morning. Look at verse 4 of chapter 3. He starts out with the word whoever. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that Jesus was manifested to take away our sins. And in Jesus, there is no sin. Whoever abides in Him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen Him nor know Him, known Him. Little children... Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. 
And for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Again, John, very straight to the point. Very clear in, in the in the statements that he's making, he's he's putting in it this way because he wants there to be no confusion as to what a Christian really looks like. What is a Christian? How do we define it? How do they act? And as believers, we should be able to see that in our own lives, and even see that in the lives of those who claim to know Christ. John says that whoever, that word whoever means all or any or everyone who commits sin commits lawlessness. That goes for the Christian as well as for the non-Christian. Whoever commits sin commits lawlessness. Now, John is real good about, in this letter about using a a means in a way to bring a truth home. He drives a point home to you and I by using contrasts. Now, a contrast is when you take two opposite words that are completely opposed to one and to teach a central truth. He did that in chapter 1, verse 5, when he talked about light and darkness. Do you see the contrast between the two? Light and and darkness. In chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, he says a new commandment and an old commandment. In chapter 2, verse 15, loving the Father and then loving the world. In chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 20, uh, he talks about truth and lies. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says the children of God and the children of the devil. In verse uh, 14, eternal life and eternal death. In verse 15, love and hate. In chapter 4, true prophecy and false prophecy. In chapter 5, verse 11, having life and having not life. Do you see the contrast? And he uses those contrasts to drive a point home to us. Our message this morning is between sin and righteousness. Remember that the Gnostics, this religious group of the day we might call them, we have different names for Gnosticism today in our day and age, but the Gnostics, they believed that sin was only something of the flesh and that the spiritual part of our being was separate from that. So what that meant to them is that a person was not held responsible for the sins of the flesh because those two things were separated from each other. Now, to me, that just is convenient teaching. That's a convenient way to say that you can just live the way you want and you're not really responsible for the actions of the flesh because they're separate from the spiritual part of who you are. The problem with that is it's false. 
It's a lie. It's not true. And there are groups today and different uh, groups today that really fall under that same type of thinking. We need to be careful, church, that God sets a standard of righteousness that He says, without it, you will never see God. It's very important. But it's also important for us to be able to, to, to define sin. Now, most of us here, if I were to ask you what sin is, you might have an answer. But I, I'll say this, if we went out onto the street... And we were to line up five people, ten people on the street, and I asked them the question, would you define to me sin? What do you think you would get? I think you would get probably ten different types of answers. You would get people that would have a different understanding of what they consider to be sin. Some people would go to the extreme, you know, it's, it, those are the murderers, those are the rapists, those are the people that are sitting there in prison. And some people would, you know, they'd have all different levels of what they think and how they would define sin. God's Word makes it very clear to us, doesn't He, of what sin is. He tells us in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Is all everyone? Does that mean that everyone in this world has sinned? And that they all fall short of that perfection of God, that perfect standard that God requires for all of sin. That's what Paul wrote. In Romans 6.23, Paul went on to say, for the wages of sin is death. Now, wages are things that we earn. You, You work a job, you work for it, and you get a wage. For the wages of sin is death. That's the result of it. That's what you get paid for sin. But the gift, gifts are things that you don't earn. Gifts are things typically that you give to somebody, not because they earned it, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Quite the contrast. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says this, For there is not a just man on the earth who does good and does not sin. Not one. There is not one person on this earth that has ever been birthed into this world that will be able to stand before God in any of their own perfection and say, I deserve to enter into heaven. There's not a just man on the earth. 1 John 5.17 tells us this about sin. He says, all unrighteousness is sin. Everything that falls short of that perfection of God is sin. Romans 14 tells us that whatsoever is not a faith is sin. It's very clear in Scripture that we all fall short. We all are going to, you know, we all would pay the penalty for sin. We're all in that same sinking boat, so to speak as a result of sin. We see many churches today that are reluctant to talk about it. They don't like to bring up this whole issue about sin, even as I'm speaking about it this morning. And the reason why they don't is because it it has a tendency to want to turn people away. You know, you you talk about sin, that's so negative. 
I mean, you know, we don't need to tell people that they're sinners. They already know they are. I mean, why do we have to bring it up and bring this negative thing to the service? There's many churches that are falling trapped to that. One person uh, wrote, people don't need to be told they're sinners. They already know they are. Isaiah, though, wrote this in chapter 5, verse 20. He says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. You see, that's the tendency of the flesh. It's what our flesh wants to do. I'm self-righteous. I'm okay. You know, and, and, and even many teachers have fallen trap to really watering down the truths of Scripture. Not saying what it really is. Mark 2.15, we read a story about Jesus sitting down one day, dining in Levi's house. And it says that many were there. It says that tax collectors and sinners were there at that table that day, and they were sitting together with Jesus and His disciples. And and then it, it says, And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw Jesus eating with these tax collectors and sinners, they said to His disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. The righteous... The self-righteous, those that say they're okay, me and God are good, you know, I'm, I'm okay, you know, they're going to stand before God someday and they're going to find out it wasn't sufficient. My righteousness wasn't enough. Those scribes and the Pharisees that were calling Jesus out for eating with the tax collectors and the sinners, oh, look at him, sitting there eating with these sinners. And, and, and I mean, I, I, to them, it probably disgusted them. And that's a religious attitude, a self-righteous attitude. And Jesus responded with that. He didn't come to call the righteous. Those who think they're self-righteous, but the sinners, those that need a physician. John is going to clear up some misconceptions with us this morning that maybe we have. Uh, and some of those misconceptions are that a person can say that they know God, but they can still walk in sin. Or that, a, that, a, that sin in a person can be eradicated. Have you ever heard that kind of teaching? That you can actually, as a Christian, come to a place of perfection where you actually no longer deal with sin. I've actually achieved a place of perfection. That's a false teaching. That it's possible for a person to have never sinned. 
We've already dealt with that in chapter 1. We've also looked so far as we've gone through this letter, we've looked at three tests. We, we talked about the test of obedience as being a real good indicator that you're a child of God. When you have a heart and a desire to be obedient to the Word of God, that's a good indicator that you know Him. Uh, it could also, though, be called the test of righteousness in our text this morning. In chapter 1, verse 6, John wrote this, If we say that we have fellowship with Him this way, and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. In verse 8, he says that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In chapter 2, verse 4, he who says that I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. In verse 6, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk as Jesus walked. In verse 9, he who says that he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Very clear statements John is making here between obedience and somebody that is walking in a lie. Walking and believing that they can live any way or say this about sin and still be saved. We finished two weeks ago in verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself as He is pure. God is pure. And you know what? And, and we're called to be like Jesus, to walk as Jesus walked. And the person that has the hope of his return purifies himself, desires to walk holy. I want to be in a place when he returns that I'll be ready for his return. The Apostle Paul, he wrote about righteousness more than any other New Testament writer. 30 of those times are found in Romans. And then he writes in the, his other letter, 61 other times in the letter about righteousness. So let me ask you a question this morning. This is something that you should know as a believer. How is a person made righteous in the eyes of God? How do we have right standing before God Himself? In the Old Testament, we can see that Noah became an heir of this righteousness and that it was according to faith that he became heir. In Hebrews 11.7, we read this about Noah, that by faith, Noah being divinely warned of the things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. You think, well, I, I thought this was all new to you know. No, faith has always been the vehicle by which a person comes into a righteous standing before God. Noah, through faith, according to faith, came into right standing with God because he believed God. 
We also see that Abraham in the Old Testament, that he believed God and God, God's righteousness was accounted for righteousness. That his righteousness was accounted for righteousness. We read in James 2.23, And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. It was by Abraham believing in the promise. By Abraham believing, and Sarah believing in the promise of God, that God imputed or gave that righteousness to Abraham. It wasn't his works that did it. It was his faith in God that did that. It's always been by faith that a person gets right standing with God. Romans 4.3 What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. If somebody wants to try and work their way to heaven, uh, then basically they'll stand before God and say, God, you know what? You owe this to me. Look what I've done. I've lived my whole life trying to... That's works. That's a works foundation. God says it's unacceptable. But if it's of grace, then it's not of debt. God doesn't owe us anything when we stand. He did it all for us. He did everything that I needed to be right with Him. But to Him who does not work but believes on Him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is accounted for righteousness. If you read the whole of chapter 4 of Romans, you're going to see that the Apostle Paul gives this convincing argument that there is no way when you're done reading that you're going to go, well, it, it has something to do with works of why I'm going to get into heaven. No, it's simply by faith alone. That's the only means by which a person gets right in the eyes of God. Here's a great verse for you to memorize. Galatians 2.21. It says this, Paul said it, he says, Do not set aside the grace of God. For if our righteousness came by the law, then Jesus Christ is dead in vain. If you're, Let me paraphrase it. If you're right standing before God comes by keeping the law of God, by, by doing good works, by, by doing all these things, then Jesus Christ died for nothing. He didn't need to go to the cross. He didn't need to shed His blood on the cross for our sins. He would have just simply gave you the rules and said, if you'll keep these rules and you live this righteous, self-righteous life, you can go to heaven. Do not frustrate the grace of God. For if our righteousness came by the law, then Jesus Christ is dead in vain. Galatians 2.21 Ephesians 6.14 says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What is the breastplate of righteousness? It's what you stand in as a Christian. When you put on that breastplate of righteousness, it protects all your vital organs. You're standing in the righteous truths of God's Word. And everything that, that, that wants to come in and beat you up as a Christian, tell you that you're not a Christian, you're standing in that, with that breastplate of righteousness on. Paul also talked about a false type of righteousness 
In Philippians chapter 3, he did this by giving his own personal testimony. He says, you know what, I was a religious leader at one time. Uh, you know, I, I was this Pharisee. And, and, I, and I sought to keep the law perfectly as best I could. He said, as a matter of fact, he says, in the law, I was blameless. That's like a person saying, you know what, I don't think I've ever sinned. I, I keep the law perfectly, and, and, and in my estimation, I'm blameless. But Paul went on to learn this after he got saved. He says, but what things were gained to me, these I counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And being found in Him, listen to this, and being found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. If you're here this morning and you have right standing with God, if you believe that if you were to die today that you would stand before the living God in right right standing before Him, you did it by faith. You came by way of faith. It was never by way of works. The central theme that I've been giving to 1 John is what is a Christian? And how should a child of God behave? Uh, In verses 4 to 6 of our text this morning, John defines sin and its relationship to a child of God. In verses 7 to 10, John then contrasts this sin with righteousness. And he declares that whoever is born of God or whoever is a child of God and does not practice righteousness should rightfully question his or her's relationship with God. Remember I I talked about that it's a good practice to examine ourselves to see whether we're of the faith. Prove yourself lest you be a reprobate, Paul says. Nothing wrong with examining our walk before God, but we do it in light of Scripture. Not how you feel. (laughs) You could feel saved today, and tomorrow you have a bad day, and you may not feel saved. That doesn't negate what God has done in your life. If your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart and knows all things. But if your heart condemns you not, you have confidence towards God. We'll get to that later on in 1 John. Look at your Bibles, verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Now, that's probably not the complete description of sin, but it's a good one. Whoever commits sin commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. A Sunday school teacher was once, once asked a little boy in the class, to define sin. And this is how he answered. I think it's anything that you like to do. I think it's anything that you like to do. I think that that's a, a, that's a, a good way to put it. You see, lawlessness is when we want to allow our flesh to control what we do. When, when your flesh takes over and it, and it wants to practice sin, it wants to do sin, 
That's the nature of our flesh. It's what our flesh wants to do. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. The word lawlessness actually by definition, it literally means without law. That's what lawlessness is. And it's, it's probably explained best when it reads, everyone that doeth sin. Everyone that doeth sin or practices sin is what John is cautioning about. Now, what we're talking about here is not a specific sin, because we all have specific sins that we commit regularly. But he's talking about a continual practice of sin. That as Christians, it's not an earmark of a true believer to live a lifestyle that is completely contrary to the Word of God or to live in a particular sin that is contrary to the Word of God without any remorse for that sin and to live on in it. That is what John is warning against. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. The tendency of your flesh is always going to be to please itself. Have you noticed that? I have. Have you noticed that your flesh just wants to do what it wants to do? But then you have inside of you God's Holy Spirit that is compelling you to do something different than what your flesh is saying that it wants to do. That's the battle that you will have. That's the battle that I will have until you have your new body and you're in heaven with the Lord someday. Our flesh, apart from the control of the Holy Spirit, should actually scare us. Does it scare you? The propensity of your flesh to do what it wants to do should scare you. But we know that we have God's Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. He empowers us. He gives us the ability to say no to sin. He he gives us the ability to walk a life in right standing with Him. That's a work of God's Holy Spirit in our life. John talks here about the body and sin You see, there's actually two words that we find in the New Testament for sin. One is a noun, the other is a verb. In the noun form of the the word for sin, by definition it means to miss the mark. That's in a general sense about sin. But the verb form of of the word sin, it also means to miss the mark, but it zeroes in on a specific sin that we might commit. So sin in general, or we'll call it this flesh, it's the source that leads to the specific sins that you and I commit. Does that make sense to you? In a general sense, we have this flesh that has the ability to be sinful. But that sinfulness of this flesh can lead to specific sins that we fall to. Remember that we don't become sinners because we sin. Did you know that? 
you didn't become a sinner because you one day sinned. Well, you know, I was 10 years old when I committed my first sin. Oh, at that point, you became a sinner. No, you were already a sinner, and when you committed that first sin, it was just the outworking of what you already were. I didn't have to teach any of my children nor my grandchildren, nor of any, any parents here. You don't teach your children to sin. They just, they just come by it. They just do it. I, I see it in my, my sweet little grandchildren. Oh, they're so sweet. They're sinners. They sin. And I didn't have to teach it. Mom and dad didn't have to teach it to them. It's the very nature that we all have. We're born in sin. Paul says, I was conceived in sin. King David said that. Paul makes reference in Romans 6, 6 to the body being the instrument of sin. He says, knowing this, this is something we should know, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. You see, we need to die to flesh, die to self. So that we won't listen to the dictates of our flesh and then go out and and fall to those specific sins in life. We need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. God, would you fill me, empower me so that I might live for you. Look at verse 5. And you know, this is something that we should know as Christians, that... He, that He is Christ, that Christ was manifested to take away our sins. And in Him, there is no sin. Do you know those truths? That Jesus Christ was manifested. He came into this world for the sole purpose of taking away your sin. And also that in Jesus, there is no sin. Have you ever heard somebody say, you know what, Jesus is, you know, I mean, he, he's just kind of like us, you know, I mean, he, he had his sins yet. No, Jesus was without sin. He took on this human nature that we call the flesh. He housed himself in a body of flesh and blood like ours. And we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, for, for we do not have a high priest, speaking of, about Jesus Christ, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet, what? Without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have this high priest that housed himself in a body of flesh and blood, but he did it without sin. He led by example for us that we too can live a life that is holy. We too can live a life that is righteous and in right standing. Paul in Romans 8.3 says, For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, He condemns sin in the flesh. Jesus lived 
a sinless life. The reason why I bring that up is because His sinless life is the reason why you and I will be able to stand before the Father someday in the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. If I would have hung on that cross, it would not have worked for your benefit because I'm a sinner and my, my blood is insufficient to pay the penalty for your sin. But He was tempted in all ways like you and I, yet without sin. He died under the condemnation of sin that was due to you and I. That's something we rejoice in. It's, it's why when we partake of communion, we go, thank you, Lord. It's why I'm able to actually partake of this communion. Look what you've done for me. You've saved me from my sin. I should have been the one that hung on that cross. And you did it for me. Verse 6 says, Whoever abides in Him does not sin. I want you to really take notice here, church, of the wording that He's given here. Whoever abides in Jesus does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen Him nor known Him. Now, those words in that verse should actually cause a little bit of uneasiness in us. Because when we consider our walks with Christ, we see that we do sin. We see that we do fall short of the perfection that God requires. And, and in a sense, when you read verse 6, you man, that's, that's a, a scary... As a matter of fact, it's actually caused some confusion with people, with Christians in their mind. Interpretation. What's he saying there? That a Christian will never sin or that he can't sin? We know that not to be true because we already read in 1 John 2, 1. Look at your Bibles. My little children speaking to Christians. These things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, implying that you will sin... What is the remedy for it? He tells us in verse 1 there. We have an advocate. We have a lawyer. We have a go-between with the Father. And His name is Jesus Christ the righteous. Notice that? Jesus Christ. And aren't you thankful that that word righteous is at the end of that? Jesus Christ the righteous is the reason why you and I, even in our imperfection in our failures, in our sin, will still stand before God someday in the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. He's the one that goes on your behalf when Satan, the accuser of the brethren, comes and condemns you and says, if you were a child, you wouldn't be doing this. You wouldn't be living like this. He's the accuser of the brethren. That you have a lawyer, an advocate that goes on your behalf and it's Jesus Christ the righteous. And he says, this child of God here is my child. And this person stands in my righteousness before you. 2.29 says, everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. In verse... 3, verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 8. He who sins is of the devil. Verse 9. Whoever is born of God does not sin. 
verse 10. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Those way that's worded there, that would create some concern. If you just read it for what it's saying. But if you look in the Old King James, this is how it reads. And I actually think that this is a better translation, I think because it it brings out really uh, a, a truth that's important for us to know. In 2.29 it says, everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. In uh, chapter 3, verse 4, these are the, the same verses, but in the Old King James, it says, whoever committeth sin transgresses also the law. In verse 8, whoever committeth sin is of the devil. Whoever is born of God, in verse 9, and does not commit sin. And then in verse 10, whoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. You see, the words practice, or the word doeth, or committeth, in the Old King James, is a Greek word that signifies somebody that has got a habitual practice of living in a certain way. So we're not talking about, as I shared, the specific sins. We're talking about somebody that is living a lifestyle of sin that is contrary to what a Christian should be and how a Christian should live. Verse 6 tells us that whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor knows him. This word abide, to abide in him means by definition, to remain. It means to stay in a given place. You gave your life to Christ. You started walking with Jesus Christ. You didn't turn the other direction and start going off a different direction and just living a life totally contrary to the things of God. You remained. You abide. You stayed in that place. You stayed in that relationship, or should be staying in that relationship with Him. You did not depart from what you started in. That's what John is saying here. Whoever abides in Him, whoever remains in Him, and stays in that state of relationship with Him, does not sin. In other words, there's a victory shout here for us as Christians. When we stay in that place, we can actually begin to start seeing that we have victory over sin. I actually was able to say no to that. I saw victory in my life over it. It's real important for us as Christians to abide. Stay close to Jesus. Stay in His Word. Stay in fellowship. Stay in that right relationship through your confession of your sin before God. Lifting it up before Him daily. Saying, God, see, if, see in me if there's any wicked way in me. Show it to me, Lord, so that I can get it right. And the things that I don't know that I did, God, forgive me. And we, we, we keep ourselves in this right relationship with God. When you do that, you will find yourself being finding it much easier to say no to sin. 
that you won't be going down a path of practicing sin and living in such a way that John would say, it's questionable whether or not you really know the Lord. Not only to yourself, but to everyone that sees you. You see, we we never as Christians like to see somebody come to know Christ. Hey, hey, I, I just received the Lord. Praise the Lord. You're all excited for Him. And then a month later, they're just off doing the same old thing again. Nothing ever changed. And you're going, man, did they ever really know the Lord? I don't know. I mean, I don't see any fruit of anything in their life. We don't get so excited when somebody is as excited when somebody accepts the Lord as it is when they've been walking with the Lord for a long time. You go, man, that person's just growing, man. You could just, you could just see it in them. Growth. That's what we rejoice in. That's what John says is the earmark of a true Christian. Somebody that is desiring to live righteously, to live holy, to follow after the Lord. Look at your Bibles, verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Why does he say that? Because there are those that could deceive you as Christians. Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The person, the Christian that practices, there's that word practice again, that practices righteousness is righteous. Just as Jesus is righteous. Don't let anyone deceive you. Remember that Deception can come in two ways to you and I. It can come from the outside, meaning somebody teaching you false doctrine. Or it can also be deception from within. You deceiving yourself. You see, we can deceive ourselves, as John brought out in chapter 1, in a number of different ways. But we can also be deceived by false teaching. That's why we stick to the Word of God. It's why I need to bring my heart before the Lord and say, God, see if there be any wicked way in me. I don't want to deceive myself. Telling myself I'm all right. Oh, I'm, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm, yeah, walk. I'm, my walk's never been greater. I'm doing good. When we're really not. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Verse 8, he who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest. And that's the key. It's why he was manifested. That he might destroy the works of the devil. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, what did he have victory over? Sin and over death. The sin that once held you in its bonds, and its grasp. You've been released from the day you gave your life to Christ. The Son of God was, uh, was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. The devil wants to destroy you. The devil wants to keep you in his grasp. The devil, even for you as a Christian, wants to hold you with all your temptations and all those things that that we deal with in our Christian walk. And the victory is found in Christ. He was manifested so that you could have victory. 
If you want to have a victory shout over, over sin, read Romans chapter 6. It tells you all the victory that you have over sin. Verse 9, whoever has been born of God or whoever is born again does not sin. And we'll just say does not habitually practice sin. For his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. He says it twice, born of God. The seed of God that was planted in your heart the day you became born again, The day you became a child of God, the seed of God was planted in your heart and life. Somebody that is truly saved, that knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when that seed is placed in you, you will not, according to what John is saying here, continue on down a path of just living like you did before. Life never changed. I just lived the same way that I did before I knew Christ. That is not what a Christian looks like or how a Christian behaves. His seed remains in him. And then in verse 10, and we'll close with this. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is he who does not love his brother. Two things that he says there. He says the person that does not practice righteousness, which means on my part, it requires some effort, doesn't it? In other words, yes, we stand positionally in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But practically speaking, you need to and I need to practice righteousness. We need to to live lives that are holy and following after Christ. He says, the children of God and the children of the devil are mad. There's that, that big contrast. You can't be both. We can't be both. You can't be a child of God and a child of the devil. Well, I was a child of the devil today because I was living like the devil. A child of God. No, you're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. That's what the scriptures say. John says it becomes apparent, it becomes obvious who the children of God are just by the evidence that is seen in their life. I'll close with a verse, and this one would be one for you to memorize. Jude 24. Do you have that one memorized? Jude 24. Now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the Father with exceeding joy. Just wrap your head around that verse. Now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless, underline that word, present you faultless before the Father with exceeding joy. Can you picture yourself standing there before God the Father with Jesus Christ right at your side? 
Him standing there in all of His righteousness and Him presenting you before the Father. Righteous. Faultless, he, Jude says. And, and, and that He's going to actually do it with exceeding joy. He's actually looking forward to that day He's going to be able to take you and just say, here, the righteousness of my Son. They believe they put their trust in me. We hope you have enjoyed today's study. For more information on teachings, events, worship times, and location, please visit our website, ccfwinstonsalem.com. From Pastor Greg and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, thank you for listening and being part of our study through God's Word.